So we are continuing in our series on shalom. What does it mean to have vibrant wholeness in our city and in our lives? And so uh, today, Wes Vanderlucht, our lead pastor, he is uh, speaking today, continuing in the series. And today he's going to be talking about truthfulness. Really looking at telling the truth about ourselves and about our city. Uh, still looking uh, through the book of Jeremiah. And so as you know, each week we have a time we call lament. And that's really where we explore the aches of the world, the brokenness in the world. And we tend to do that in the form of a question. And so for the last few weeks in the series, we've asked people in our community a question, and then we're going to play their answers by audio. Um, they were recorded by phone. And so today the question is, what's broken in Charlotte that we don't talk about openly? And what keeps you from telling the whole truth about your own life? And so we asked a web developer, designer, and a nonprofit leader that are part of our community that question. And today we get to hear um, what they have to say. But again, we are just so glad you're here. Make yourselves at home and welcome. I don't think that the biggest challenge is a lack of information. We know more today than we ever have before about the issues facing our city. And I would even say about the issues confronting us as individuals. I think part of the problem is, and one that we don't want to talk about, is our unwillingness to do anything about it. I can't help but think about Charlotte on an individual level, on a micro level, that we're a collection of individual people. And as a people and a culture now, we often don't own our own reality. We all grow up in a certain context and develop our own perceptions of reality. And I believe things because of who my parents are, what my teachers taught me, the messages I heard at church, what I read in textbooks and literature, what I experienced. And I developed a sense of what I believe is true. But so did everyone else. So did our neighbors in West Charlotte. And they had their own experiences. They developed their own perceptions of the world and what was right and what was true. And there's a gap. We're broken in the city and that we don't even often own our core beliefs. Um, we jump onto others' beliefs and opinions we claim them as our own and we carry their flag, but in reality, we don't hold a true conviction and we don't let those convictions shape our actions and our reactions. When I look at all of the brokenness around us here in Charlotte, in my life, in the world, um, I think one of the hardest things for us to openly talk about is our unwillingness to change. We try to live someone else's we try to escape from our broken circumstances. Um, we shift the blame or excuse it away. We need to openly face it and ultimately bring those areas before God. My perception of reality is safe. It's like a cozy blanket that I can snuggle under to be warm and comfortable and safe. I think a major hindrance uh, to sharing the truth even in the context of my healthier relationships, is time and capacity. Uh, for me, it takes getting past the small talk 
um, and working your way through the layers of life and the goings on to really get to a point of identifying the core truths and convictions and feelings um, that are buried beneath. My perceptions may be, probably are, skewed. And the truth is that I'm not really even sure I want to know because I'm not sure that I'm willing to change even if I do know. Um, do I have time for that? Do I make time for that? Uh, is it even important or should I just keep on trucking and being like, I'm fine, uh, I'm good, how are you doing? And the truth is that somewhere in that gap, in the middle of my story and your story and his story and her story, is a more full and beautiful picture of what life is supposed to be. And our unwillingness to lean into that keeps us from getting there. We should be talking about that. How's everybody this morning? Good. <laughs> How are you, Mike? Tired, good, yeah. Why do we do that? Why do we say, how are you? Fine, good. Most likely the, the, the truth in response to that question is something a lot more complex, right? A lot more specific, probably a lot more interesting. So why don't we tell each other the truth when we greet each other? Because we're just trying to greet each other, right? It's okay. It's okay. We don't have to reveal the whole truth about ourselves just because they're trying to be socially polite. Uh, but perhaps there are, are simpler, maybe more truthful ways of greeting each other, like, it's good to see you, Jeff. I mean, most of the time I say that is true, uh, <laughs> at least when I see you. Um, I think we, we need to acknowledge that telling the truth is, is tricky business. It's tricky because... Uh, Telling the truth is a lot more complex than, than even just knowing the truth. And there are so many ways that we get caught up in not telling the truth. Everything from, from ways that are quite benign and harmless to ways that I think are, are severely damaging. So I, I think it's fairly harmless to respond, eh, I'm fine, if someone asks you that you don't know very well how you're doing. But if you're consistently saying that to a spouse or to a good friend or to a counselor and you're not revealing the deeper truths, that's a problem, right? So why do we struggle to tell the truth? What are the, what are the reasons? Why do we dodge or diminish or twist the truth? Lots of practical reasons. Sometimes we're just too busy. Busyness gets in the way. I should give him this feedback, but then he's going to get all emotional, and then I'm going to have to be attentive to that, and I really only have like five minutes. So <laughs> Sometimes we don't tell the truth because we're too lazy or tired. I should probably speak up about this glaring problem at work, but every time someone does that, they get voluntold to do something about it, and, and I don't know, I'm busy, so we'll let somebody else speak up. Sometimes we don't tell the truth because we desire to look good. At the end of January, Center City Partners released the 2018 State of the Center City Report. I always love reading these. 
It's like this glamorous portrayal of development and growth in Uptown Charlotte. And look, there are lots of things to celebrate about where our city is going and the development and the growth and the beauty. And we should be proudly telling the truth about that. Yet, at the same time, we need to be telling the truth about the darker side of development, of gentrification, if we're actually concerned about the economic and social and cultural development of our city. It's not all glamorous. Sometimes we don't tell the truth because we're, we're ignorant. It's not like we're going around, I don't think, intentionally spewing off error unless you're, you're Mike Laurie and you keep saying that Die Hard is the best Christmas movie ever, then yeah, uh, so I guess sometimes we do that. But most often it's because we're, we're too sheltered or, or we've been misinformed. Like we haven't interacted with uh, or been exposed to different truth-enhancing people or truth-enhancing experiences. We haven't asked good questions. We haven't interrogated our assumptions asked for second and third opinions, checked our sources, whatever the case may be, uh, we're often misinformed about things. And in an era of spin, in an era of fake news, look, you have to be vigilant. You really do. Um, Knowing and telling the truth about anything in our culture, in this climate, takes active processing. And it takes wise counsel, not just passive consumption and unreflective agreement. Sometimes we don't tell the truth because we're afraid. I think we're getting down to the core. What if when I tell the truth, people aren't going to like me anymore? What if telling the truth will bring me harm? What if telling the truth will isolate me? I mean, who's going to be brave enough to tell the truth when it's going to cost something, when it's going to hurt, when it's going to isolate me? It's going to make me look like a fool. On the flip side, someone wise like Frederick Buchner is courageous enough to say, if the truth is worth telling, it is worth making a fool of yourself to tell. It's hard though, right? Add on to that another layer that sometimes we don't tell the truth because we're guilty. Uh, Several months ago, I was turning on to Moorhead, or sorry, Wilkinson from, from Moorhead, and a tow truck blasted through the red light. Boom! Smashed into my poor little tiny Toyota Prius and, and totaled that thing up. He pulled over to the side. I was like, oh, good. A responsible citizen. Gets out of his truck. He's like, why'd you run the red light, man? Are you serious? <laughs> you know. Um, no, he wasn't going to tell the truth about that because that's, Lying is just so much more convenient. Lying is so much less expensive than telling the truth. We could mention, honestly, dozens of reasons why we struggle to tell the truth. But generally speaking, if you get down to the core, our struggle to tell the truth boils down to self-centeredness. That's the bad news. The good news is that the more we are unselfed by the gospel truth of Jesus and his spirit, the more that we develop a God-saturated, biblically rich, relationally attuned approach to life, the more 
God liberates us to be able to tell the truth about ourselves and about God and about the world that we live in in our city. And it's so important because if we seek, if we are longing for the shalom of our city and our lives, if we want vibrant wholeness for ourselves and our family and our neighbors and our city and our world, we have to tell the truth. We need to be truth tellers and we need to grow in our ability. Now, God sent the prophet Jeremiah to deliver this very message to his people because they stunk at it. I mean, they were, they were horrible liars and untruth tellers. They became masters at pretending things were great when in reality things were falling apart all around them. And God sent Jeremiah to call them out for their deceit and to call them into a pattern of liberating truth telling, of telling and living and embodying the truth. This is all over Jeremiah's uh, letter, his, his literature, but I think the most powerful uh, example of this is in Jeremiah 8. So that's where we're going to go. Jeremiah 8, verses 4 to 12. I invite you to stand with me if you're able and willing. I'm going to read this for us as we pay attention. Say to them, this is what the Lord says. When people fall down, do they not get up? When someone turns away, do they not return? Why then have these people turned away? Why does Jerusalem always turn away? They cling to deceit and they refuse to return. I have listened attentively, but they do not say what is right. None of them repent of their wickedness, saying, what have I done? Each pursues their own course like a horse charging into battle. Even the stork in the sky knows her appointed seasons, and the dove and the swift and the thrush observe the time of their migration. But my people do not know the requirements of the Lord. How can you say we are wise when, for we have the law of the Lord, when actually the lying pen of the scribes has handled it falsely? The wise will be put to shame. They will be dismayed and trapped. Since they have rejected the word of the Lord, what kind of wisdom do they have? Therefore, I will give their wives to other men and their fields to new owners. From the least to the greatest, all are greedy for gain. Prophets and priests alike all practice deceit. They dress the wound of my people as though it were not serious. Peace, peace, they say when, when there is no peace. Are they ashamed of their detestable conduct? No, they have no shame at all. They don't even know how to blush. So they will fall among the fallen. They will be brought down when they are punished, says the Lord. This is God's word to us this morning. <laughs> yes, sometimes that works out. All right, two main indictments in this text. The first one is to the people. Second one is to the leadership. So first, Jeremiah's, uh, the Lord through Jeremiah is speaking to the people, saying, you're refusing to acknowledge the truth of what's actually going on, how your lives lack shalom. So they're sustaining a status quo that's bringing them farther and farther away from God and his vibrant wholeness. Verse 5 says they cling to deceit and they refuse to return. And to point out how dense this is, I love this. Jeremiah mentions in verse 7 how even the birds, even these animals are more attuned to the truth than you are because they know that winter is coming and they go south. And you are like, well, what winter? You know, this is, life is beautiful. It's perpetual summer. There's no difficult season. This is all, it's all good. And they're, they're deceiving themselves that life is like this endless 
summer vacation and they don't need to respond to the different seasons. So they're just sitting back and they're saying, look, I'm, I'm great. You're great, right? Life is great. God is great. And, and really, God just wants us to be happy, right? Clap along if you feel that happiness is the truth. Happiness. Well, no. No, I mean, did God really say that you have to observe a full Sabbath day if you want to love him, if you want to love your neighbor? I mean, it, it's enough if my work is just sort of restful, right? And that the people I, 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 that I work for or that work for me, that they're enjoying their work, that's, that's good enough, right? Did God really say that the first thing we need to do in the harvest and the income comes in is to give the best of it to the priests and the poor? I mean, we, we can give whatever's left over when we make sure we have enough for ourselves, right? Seems to make sense. Did God really say that the foreigners and the immigrants in our midst need to have exactly the same rights as people who have been here for generations? I mean, doesn't it kind of make sense that they should maybe work a little bit harder or something? Did God really say? Those are the first words of the devil in Scripture. Genesis 3.1. Said to the woman, did God really say... You must not eat from any tree in the garden. It's self-deception. It's questioning God's truth. And it's the original sin. And it's wrapped up together with pride. But people are living it out and God wants them to see it. The second indictment in Jeremiah 8 is against the leadership. Because toward the end of verse 10, we read that prophets and priests alike all practice deceit. They dress the wounds of my people as though it were not serious. Peace, peace. Shalom, shalom, they're saying, when there's not shalom. In other words, leaders are saying, yeah, no worries, guys. You, you are great. Like, just, just keep doing what you're doing. Whatever feels like shalom to you, that's shalom. Shalom, shalom. Leaders are perpetuating untruth by upholding the status quo, which of course means it's not true leadership. Seth Godin says that leadership is scarce because few people are willing to go through the discomfort required to lead, which absolutely includes telling the truth. Telling the truth about what shalom looks like, telling the truth about where you see it lacking, where you see it emerging. But not doing that is way more common in our culture, in the leadership that we see than living out leadership like that. Walter Brueggemann puts the situation this way. He says, The voices of accepted legitimacy present a fake reality with failed fact disguised as workable fantasy. Here in Charlotte, we could talk about how in the wake of the Keith Lamont Scott shooting a year and a half ago, several of our city leaders kept saying, this isn't the real Charlotte, right? Shalom, shalom, this isn't who we are. Workable fantasy. Because other leaders who were truth tellers and courageous enough to tell the truth were saying, this is, this is Charlotte. Wake up, this is the real Charlotte full of real and pervasive racial tension and injustice, 
So what, what are we doing? Why are we glazing over that? Why, one author called it, why are we interacting with each other with paralyzing politeness? Let's be truth tellers. Now, telling the truth doesn't mean you need to be a Debbie Downer all the time. You know, wah, wah, wah. <laughs> I'm so sad when they discontinued that character on SNL. Um, no, it means telling the truth, yes, about the bad news, not glazing over that. But equally, it means telling the truth about good news. Doing, doing both of that at the same time. In, in Christian terms, it would mean telling the truth about sin and systemic injustice and telling the truth about restoration and transformation. In, in sociological, cultural terms, that would mean telling the truth about where we're stuck as a city, where we're moving backwards as a city, and where there is progress, where there is real change happening. And telling the truth about all of that. So... For example, we need to tell the truth about the harm of gentrification. If you haven't heard or told the truth about that in our city, uh, you're missing it. But we also need to be telling the truth about encouraging progress that we're seeing because of people collaborating, like especially in West Charlotte, toward keeping historic lower-income residents from being displaced. There is good stuff going on, um, but we need to work harder. We need to tell the truth about the ongoing brokenness of the criminal justice system in Mecklenburg County, which includes things still like cash bail. Cash bail, where, where people, lower income residents, inmates, can't pay it. And so they're stuck in jail often while they're innocent. They're stuck there, and it wreaks havoc on their lives. And we know that need to tell the truth that there is real movement in Mecklenburg County and our criminal justice system toward uh, national leaders, too, who are seeking to reform the system toward restorative justice rather than punitive justice. There are good things happening. But guys, telling the truth about our city like that is really difficult. Really difficult. Uh, Marilyn McIntyre explains some of the reasons why. This, this, her book, Caring for Words in a Culture of Lies, is amazing. She says, truth-telling is difficult because the varieties of truth are so many and so well-disguised. Lies are hard to identify when they come in the form of apparently innocuous imprecision, socially acceptable slippage, hyperbole masquerading as enthusiasm, or well-placed propaganda. These forms of falsehood are so common, even so normal, in media-saturated, corporately-controlled culture that truth often looks pale, understated, alarmist, rude, or indecisive by comparison. <laughs> it's good. So how in the world do we know and tell the truth then in a culture like ours? It's difficult. <laughs> and and the, the answer, I don't think, is just to give up on all news sources. It, you know, given this issue, we, we can't just give up and, and not care about knowing the truth and what's going on. One practical thing we can do, though, is to pay attention to diverse news sources. We're going to get super practical. Karl Barth once said that in order to do theology and to tell the truth, you need the Bible in one hand and you need the newspaper in another hand. Now, we don't really have the newspaper anymore, and so we need to be 
we need to be even more uh, vigilant, intentional about learning the truth by going beyond what's catered for us, what's catered for us through TV or through our news feed or, or wherever. So you could go old school and you could get a print subscription to the Charlotte Observer, <laughs> right? Paper and ink, people. It's a good thing. Uh, and then at the same time, maybe you subscribe by email to the Charlotte Agenda. So that you're getting Charlotte Observer, you're getting Charlotte Agenda. Or um, let's say that you're a millennial and you, you wake up in the morning and you're like, if I just knew where the 10 best places to get tacos in our city are, and, and you love Charlotte 5 because it gives you these top 10 places to get my tacos. That, I mean, I, I actually do care about that. And I think it's awesome <laughs> to know where the best, but maybe, maybe it's important for you to, to follow NPR as well. And, and to get some, some news uh, about the systems and people and leaders in our city. The point is, uh, get practical about diversifying your news sources. You know what is the absolute best news source in Charlotte? Ooh. People. People are. Real people. Especially people who are different than you. So here, here's the challenge. Um, well, just from, from my experience, I have learned more about Charlotte these last few years from interacting with the folks in the West Charlotte Coalition than I have by all of the Charlotte Agenda articles combined. I love Charlotte Agenda. Uh, they give me really good stuff in the morning. But if you want to get the whole truth, you need to know real people and their joys and their struggles and their dreams and their barriers and to connect into Nate's sermon from last week. When we intentionally listen to people in the margins of Charlotte, we will be far less prone to say, shalom, shalom, when there's not shalom there. So that's my challenge to you. Um, two more things I want to address, two more areas where it's critical for us to learn to tell the truth. I've just been talking about telling the truth about our city, talk about that the rest of the morning, but I think these other two ways are crucial, telling the truth about ourselves and telling the truth about God. Who are the people who are, who most easily tell the truth about themselves? What type of person do you think? Kids do, that's true. Who else? People who are about to die. Yeah, people who are on their deathbed the, the usual inhibitions fall away, and suddenly they feel the freedom and they feel the urgency of telling the truth. I care way too much about my work and not nearly enough about my family. Uh, I may not have acted this way, but I love you. These are the kind of things you hear from, from people who are dying, and if all of us are dying... Why not practice truth-telling more often on a daily basis? One small thing that we do when we drop off our kids at school, uh, it's usually kind of crazy, but we try to get in one question, which is, who are you? As, you know, Eden's jumping out of the car, who are you? Beloved child of God, she says. Beloved child of God. Sometimes cheerfully, sometimes not so cheerfully. But um, I say, that's right, and I love you. And off she goes. Two most important truths 
that our kids should hear every morning. You are a beloved child of God. I love you. Because whatever else, whatever are the truths they're going to hear during the day, those are the truths that I want to, to carry them through. Oh, you should try that for yourself. Uh, something I learned from, from a mentor of mine, you can uh, take a sheet of paper or, or start a note on your phone and start with a statement on the top that identifies your identity from God's perspective. Beloved child of God. Friend of God. Righteous in Christ. Whatever it is, put, put your identity there because you know what? Whatever happens today, that's not going to change. Then put the top three things you want to get done in that day. Not ten things. Three things that you want to accomplish in that day. And if you get them done, awesome. If you don't, you might feel a little defeated, but that statement does not change. You are a beloved child of God. It's a powerful practice because you're telling the truth about yourself. Uh, another tool that's really helped me to identify truth about myself is the Enneagram. I know uh, I've mentioned the Enneagram several times up here. It's not, it's not a panacea. It's not going to uh, solve all your problems. It's not scripture. But it's a helpful tool. Um, and it's more than a personality profile in that the purpose is to help you discover your deadly sin. <laughs> now you really want to take it, right? Uh, discover your deadly sin and then how to expose that to the light of God's grace. So for me, the truth I've learned about myself in that process is that I am prone to put on masks as I seek to achieve success. And then I've also learned the truth that when I do that, God sees me as I really am and he delights in me. So that truth about myself has opened me to this truth about God that I hadn't realized at that depth before. It's incredible. And owning those truths then lead me to see myself as I really am, the world as it really is, God as it really is, that um, I am broken and I am whole in Christ. I am really imperfect and I am perfect in God's eyes. And that's the kind of truth that's going to liberate you. That's the kind of truth that's going to enable you to, to confront, receive, and tell truth in, in every other area of life. All right, finally, before I close here, uh, truth about God. God's revealed it through creation. He's revealed truth about himself through scripture. At the heart of all of that revelation is Jesus, who is the perfect embodiment of God and God's truth. The basic thing that that means is that we don't get to make up what truth is. Uh, it's not our job. We couldn't do that if we tried. God defines that and he embodies truth for us. And so our job is to discover it, to receive it, to internalize it, to make it known, to tell it, to live it. John 8, 31 and 32, Jesus is saying that if you hold to my teaching, you are really my disciples then you will know the truth, and the truth will set you free. And by saying, hold my teaching, Jesus doesn't just mean believe it, intellectually speaking. He means follow and live my teaching. Because in order to really know the truth, you have to live the truth. 
You have to come to a knowledge of truth through lived experience. And so living the truth then is also by far the most powerful way of telling the truth to others. This is why when Jesus prays for believers in John 17, he prays that they would love each other and that they would be united. Because then the world will know what God is like. God is love and God is one. God is love and Jesus is in perfect union with the Father by the Spirit. That's what it's all about, actually. That, that's, that's truth. All other truth comes from that truth. And when you're rooted in the loving truth of God in Christ, you will be equipped to know all other truth. It takes a long time. We'll never know it in full. But we'll be equipped by God's Spirit to know and tell the truth about ourselves and to know and tell the truth about the world and the city where we live. But don't expect that's going to be easy. Okay, don't, don't fool yourselves. I love what Flannery O'Connor says. She says, you shall know the truth, speaking of John 8, and the truth shall make you odd. <laughs> it's absolutely true. Look at Jesus. Man, he was very odd. He was so odd that people wanted to kill him. Couldn't stand how odd he was. But in that oddness is our strength. So let's ask God to help us embrace it. Let's pray together. God, we need your truth. We need to know it and feel it and internalize it and live it out. We know that in, in your truth is life. But so many things get in the way. We get busy and we get lazy and we get afraid and we, we're guilty and we want to keep up appearances and we're, we're misinformed. And some of that's our fault. A lot of it is our fault, God. So we ask you in the name of Jesus to forgive us for all the ways that we dodge the truth, diminish the truth, twist the truth, avoid the truth. In fact, God, we're going to be quiet for a second and um, each of us are going to talk to you about that and ask your forgiveness. Thank you for the forgiveness and the love that you show us every time we ask. Uh, you've done that definitively in Jesus, and we receive that, and we claim your truth as a free gift, like everything else that you give us. I thank you for being so gracious to us. Thank you for, in your grace, continuing to reveal yourself to us and your truth. And so we open ourselves to that and to that lifelong process and ask that you would give us eyes to really see ourselves and eyes to really see who you are and to see then the truth about our neighbors and the world around us and the way things really are and then empower us by your spirit to tell the truth, 
to live it out, to embody it in love for the sake of for listening to the Warehouse 242 podcast. If you have any questions or want to find out more about Warehouse, visit warehouse242.org. Come join us on a Sunday morning at 10 a.m. at 2307 Wilkinson Boulevard in Charlotte. Thanks for listening.